0: Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info.
1: Live from GPB News, this is Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. The governor's office has announced it's set tomorrow as the day that Governor Kemp will sign into law the bill that all but outlaws abortion in Georgia. That action will trigger lawsuits that supporters of the measure hope will give the U.S. Supreme Court the opportunity to overturn Roe v. Wade. This weekend, Pete Buttigieg became the third Democratic presidential candidate to travel to Plains to meet with Jimmy Carter our panel weighs in on why visiting with carter matters democratic congressman david scott may be facing his toughest re-election effort since he won his seat in 2002. michael owens has announced he'll challenged Scott in the 13th district democratic primary the ajc's jim galloway and our panel join
2: me after the news Live from the GPB Newsroom, good afternoon. I'm Drew Dawson. Just ahead, it is Political Rewind with Bill Nugent. But first, in GPB News, Savannah Police are denying reports that officers mistreated a man they arrested last week. The Savannah Morning News reports a Facebook post said officers, quote, brutalized Zayed Jackson while arresting him during a traffic stop last Thursday. In a statement, Police Chief Roy Minter says the department's Internal Affairs Unit has completed a preliminary review, including looking at officers' body cameras. He says that what they found is, quote, not consistent with what occurred during his arrest. Jackson was charged with several driving-related misdemeanors and a felony charge of fleeing or attempting to elude a police officer. The county sheriff's office booking photo shows Jackson with swelling to his face. Well, typically gnats are a South Georgia occurrence, but not this year. GPB's Josephine Bennett explains why.
3: Months of heavy rain have increased water levels in Georgia's rivers. That means more black flies, one of the many insects commonly referred to as a gnat. University of Georgia entomologist and extension agent Elmer Gray says, aside from needing high water, the flies are attracted to cleaner water. Their abundance is a good sign. Black flies are not tolerant of highly polluted water. So the fact that we're getting more of these populations is is indicative that we are making progress. This species of black fly is not the same as the one found in South Georgia, but you could be seeing it as far south as Macon and north into Athens through October. For GPB News, I'm Josephine Bennett in Macon.
2: For more Georgia news, go to gpbnews.org and follow us on Facebook and on Twitter.
4: Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include C3, C3's AI software suite enables organizations to use artificial intelligence at enterprise scale to solve previously unsolvable business problems. Learn more at C3.ai. Glad
1: to have you all with us for Political Rewind today. I'm Bill Nygut. I hope you all had a great weekend and uh, that you're all set for a brand new week where there's going to be a lot happening politically in Georgia. Uh, let me introduce the panel, and then I want to share with you a really lovely note about a, one, of, uh, one of Georgia's best-known former U.S. senators. We'll get to that in a minute, but uh, Jim Galloway is here. He's the lead political writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and uh, you read him on Wednesdays and Sundays in the paper, and he oversees the uh, Political Insider blog at ajc.com. Hi, Jim. How you doing? It's I'm a great. great. I'm 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 glad to be back in the office. I'm ready for a week. I don't mind it. My daughter graduates from college next <sighs> Sunday, so I'm heading up to see and this her. This is the
5: last one out of the nest. This is
1: it. This We're is all it. done. Very exciting. Sitting right next to you, Heath Garrett, Republican strategist, who is uh, usually with us on our Monday shows. Hi, Heath. How are you? Bill, it's
6: great to be here. Congratulations on that. Yeah, I'm excited about it.
1: I'm excited about it. Across from you is Melita Easters. Melita is the founder and the director of the Georgia Windlist, an organization which she has nurtured for how many years?
0: Almost 20. 20. Really? Yes. Wow.
1: Uh, and of course, well, you tell everybody what the mission is.
0: We recruit, train, endorse, and help elect Women who are committed to reproductive freedom, Democratic women committed to reproductive freedom in Georgia.
1: Are there Republican women? Do you? Do there
0: you... have been over the years, but those women either switched parties or left politics rather than um, be an outlier in their own party. Okay. But thanks for having me, and congratulations to your very talented <laughs> thank, daughter.
1: Thank you. We're very excited about it. And uh, we, on the right side, if you're watching on Facebook Live, you will notice that the Melita Easter's Kyle Hayes side of the studio is uh, is uh, reserved for founders. Melita, the founder of The Win List. Kyle Hayes, the founder of Peach Pod, uh, which is a terrific podcast uh, that focuses on Georgia politics. We usually talk to you from your home in Washington, because you're a Georgian, but you're working in D.C. these days, uh, we're gra- glad to have you in the studio. Yeah,
4: it's great to be home. I I always feel better when I'm back in you, Atlanta. You so. came in for the Shaky Knees Festival. I did, and my knees shook quite a bit. <laughs> <All
1: right. laughs> uh, real quick, what's the latest podcast that you've got posted?
4: Um, so we talked with uh, Rachel Kinsey. She's running in the 11th Congressional District against Barry Loudermilk. Um, so we talked about her campaign, and we talked about a really tough discussion she had to have with her daughter about uh, gun violence in schools. So... Um, and that is part of what motivates her to get in this race and run for Congress. So. You know, he's
1: nodding. But while we're talking, about, I don't really know anything about her, which is why it'll be good to listen to the podcast. Um, just real quick, tell us what, who is she?
4: Um, so she's a small business owner from Woodstock. Her and her husband run a CPA firm. Um, she ran against Bruce Thompson for the state Senate la- the last cycle um, and then has decided to take a shot at Congress this time.
1: It's going to be a tough uh, uh, battle against Barry Milk, isn't it, Heath?
6: It's an uphill battle. I think this is indicative of the motivation level that we see from the Democratic base as well as folks willing to offer themselves up even in challenging races. Okay.
1: Well, that's on PeachPod. If you want to download it or subscribe to it, you can do that wherever podcasts are available. Yep. Jim Galloway, here's the note that I wanted to mention just for a moment. Um, the U.S. Navy, the Secretary of the Navy— uh, Richard Spencer has named a future Arleigh Burke-class guided missile destroyer the DDG 133 in honor of U.S. Senator Sam Nunn. He represented Georgia in the Senate from 1972 to 1997, and he was a he was a huge presence on the political landscape, not just in Georgia, but um, in in the
5: country uh, at large. Uh, it's quite an honor. Yeah, and it's and 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 what it means is that uh, we could have uh, two Georgia members of Congress, or actually three if you count John Lewis, but but uh, Sam Nunn's great uncle, uh, Carl Vinson, has a as a Nimitz class aircraft carrier still afloat and operating. Well, I think I, I think maybe with the exception of you,
1: Kyle, because you came along a little after the Nunn era. I think you're. I, the rest of us have dealt with Sam over the years. And um, whether you always agreed with his politics or not, uh, Melita, he, he, was, he has been a, a, an important and, and in many ways a great political leader in this state.
0: Absolutely. And in fact, I wrote my first college newspaper editorial as an endorsement of <laughs> Sam Nunn when he ran for the U.S. Senate. And the headline was, Vote Nunn, Get More.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Uh, Heath, the other thing that's interesting to point out about this happening is that Nunn's name was uh, bandied about quite a bit last week. He was After he retired from the Senate, he and Richard Lugar, his uh, 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 colleague in the United States Senate, right. went to work to try to reduce nuclear weapons stockpiles. Around the world, and uh, of course, Senator Luger died uh, last week, and Sam was mentioned quite often in the obituaries, quoted quite extensively.
5: Yeah, that was one of the most important bipartisan partnerships uh, of the of the 20th century. Yeah, I mean, well, they- and
0: funded by Ted Turner, to a large degree, he put a lot of money behind his rhetoric
6: there. That's right, Senator. What Senator Nunn and Senator Lugar did for nuclear nonproliferation around the world is just—it can't be uh, overemphasized how important that was. And he was very successful at it, actually. And we're talking about talking. How do you track down nuclear stockpiles in the you know disintegrating former Soviet Union when you had these runaway rogue independent nation states for a while, and uh, funded by Ted Turner and now by Warren Buffett, uh, taking up where Ted left off. So another great Georgian. And uh, he's also a great example of an era that I know a lot of our listeners uh, wish would come back, which is an era of of bipartisanship. He was known to work across the aisle uh, with Ronald Reagan and, and others. And, you know, is a was a great is a great statesman.
1: Yeah, Kyle, given that you're up in Washington now, I you would know as well as any of us, if not better, just how partisan the atmosphere is up there. Bipartisanship is not coming back anytime soon. Not as far as I can tell.
0: <laughs> well, and and since none left the Senate, no senator has served more than two terms, except for the one year into his third term, which Paul Coverdale served before he died so suddenly.
6: Wow. But now Johnny Isaacson will be the first to have served three terms once he's once he's done with this one. Right? Yep. All
1: so. right. Well, we congratulate uh, Sam Nunn on a well-deserved honor. Jim Galloway, the uh, word came from the governor's office at mid-morning today that uh, Governor Kemp is going to sign HB 481, the controversial so-called heartbeat bill, tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. It's interesting that when they put out word they gave no details at all. They didn't say where it was going to be signed. Uh, they didn't say the conditions, circumstances that would surround the signing. I, I've got you've got to guess. They don't
5: really want to attract protesters. Well, I would yeah, I, I would guess that it's, it's it's if there's an invitation list, it's a fairly restricted one. Uh, and they and they are trying to they are trying to avoid any any loud protest because in essence this is the starting pistol for the uh, 2020 uh, race in Georgia I think
4: very well, much so
0: and even before then the 2020 legislative contests because as as two of the women senators said you vote for this bill we're coming for your seats. And so it's it's not just the governor's race oh, no. that You're will right. be You're right. an impact. It's the legislative races in 2020. In fact, WinList plans you'll get an invitation later, Jim, a May 20th <laughs> press conference where we expect about 20 women to declare intentions to run against Republicans in 2020.
5: State legislative.
0: Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. Kyle, what's, uh, what's it like to watch this story unfold, not just in Georgia, of course, but Tennessee, Texas, Alabama now. Uh, up there in Washington, uh, what, how, how are people talking about what's happening in these states? They're not all Southern states. Ohio right. also passed essentially a heartbeat bill. So they're not all Southern states, but they predominantly are.
4: Well, and everyone is looking forward to the Supreme Court battle to see if ultimately these laws will go into effect. Um, because if they end up getting stopped in the courts, then you know they won't make you know the the pro life forces won't make much progress on this issue, but it's hard to tell you know if the court would want to take on bills like these that are a more aggressive approach or if they are looking at something that's more at chipping away at abortion rights, which is. What a lot of people fear. Uh,
1: Yeah, I wonder about that, Heath. I mean, again, you—we've all heard it over and over from from Republicans in Georgia who want this, wanted this bill for just that reason. That's right. But but Kyle may, in fact, make the best point about this. There's no reason to think, even with a more conservative court, that with one fell swoop they want to eliminate Roe v. Wade.
6: You know, that would be out of character. Uh, of course, we do have a new court with a, a really new makeup, and we can talk about that on all these issues. I think what's interesting is there, there – I guess there's a the statute in Virginia and New York on the opposite side of this mm-hmm. that is pushing from the uh, pro-choice side pretty aggressively. And the kind of reaction in politics from the pro-life base has been to pass these in these more conservative states – And so what they're looking for is to have these, uh, uh, the 11th Circuit or the 9th Circuit or these different circuit courts have conflicting rulings on this. Uh, Once we get that, then the Supreme Court will take it up and probably do what they normally do, which is chip away in some way, shape or form. You know, Roe v. Wade is really no longer the law of the land. If you look at it, there've been numerous cases following Roe v. Wade. We talk about it all the time, but uh, even the moderate court uh, chipped away at that a little bit and so both sides think It's they need to test the new court and see where it is. And both sides are confident. And I don't I don't think either side should be very confident at all. I think that that the Supreme Court is going to take this very seriously and very slowly and not try to politicize the court. You're nodding
1: when you heard he say Mm -hmm. that Roe is no longer really the law of the land.
0: Well, the Casey decision certainly further defined the Roe v. Wade decision. Explain
1: it for our listeners.
0: It, it. You're asking me a legal question, and I'm not fully prepared. But but the Casey decision took the tenets of Roe v. Wade and further clarified where the court stood. And so if you say you're trying to overturn Roe v. Wade, you're actually trying to overturn Roe v. Wade and Casey. Mm -hmm. And the other thing about that that people forget, to, to his point, when you talk about Roe v. Wade, people forget that Roe v. Wade was argued on the same day as a Georgia case, Dovey Bolton. Um, And the court chose between the Texas statute and the Georgia statute to make their decision. And so the court will have, because so many states have passed varying versions of this same abortion ban, the court will be able to pick and choose which of those state cases becomes the one they fashion their next opinion about.
6: And on Casey, basically what they did is they said, hey, this is going to all constitutionality of a law depends upon what you, how you define the viability. Right. And that created this new standard. And now both sides. So since the Casey decision, which is a many number of years ago now, both the court has changed and science has changed. And so what we know and that's why both sides are really uh, focusing on getting this to court to see how is the court going to further define viability? Well, and that's maintain crucial. Precedent.
1: And I'm really glad you have both brought that up because, Kyle, this entire uh, fight in the legislature has really been about viability. The supporters of the measure insist that that uh, a a fetus is a is a person when the heartbeat is detected, which all relates to
5: viability. It starts the argument toward viability. They, they, yeah, they, they say it, 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 it uh, marks viability, but yeah. you, you have but, a lot of science saying
1: well, right, uh, that's right. It's I, there, There's contradictory and for evidence about that.
4: Well, and this is part of what sets the Georgia bill apart, right, is it starts to address this question of personhood, and yes. it does some things related to, like, income tax cuts or credits or something like that um, to where you can claim an unborn child as a, as a dependent... Um, So the the bill appears to be attempting to get at that question and drive the court in the in that direction to attempting to answer that question. Um, It'll be I think it remains to be seen whether or not that's how the court will take it up. Go ahead, Melita. You
0: bring up the personhood, Um, one of the tongue in cheek potential protests for. The personhood aspect of the bill is if it ever goes into effect in Georgia, women of all ages would carry around a photograph of a pregnancy test and ride in HOV lanes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, Jim, I he's made a point that we heard a lot of uh, throughout our shows in which we discussed this. He said, you know. This in some ways has been a reaction. These heartbeat bills have in some ways been a reaction to the legislation passed in New York and a couple of other states which open a door slightly, not a big wide window, but open a door to allow in exceptional cases, late term
5: abortions. You, it, it, you do have you do have situations where women are carrying children who have no ch- uh, uh, fetuses that have no chance of survivability uh I, I, or uh, and uh, and we've talked about it on this you know the, uh, what uh, give me a, give me uh a, 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 encephalitis encephalitis thank you very much
0: and and um heart problems or there are there's a wide range of defects that are determined only past the five or six month range that many women choose not to bring that child to term, and in and in many cases, I mean, pregnancy is no picnic. Um, the, the Georgia has the highest maternal mortality rate in the nation, and so for some women, carrying a baby which would not survive outside the womb to full term is a dangerous medical proposition. And those women choose to end the pregnancy and end the risk of carrying the child to term. One
1: of the reasons I mentioned this, Heath, this has led the president to declare, as he has in at least one rally that I'm aware of, maybe more and just didn't realize it, uh, that uh, essentially... What we now have is laws that allow for the murder of a living baby after birth, which as a Republican, you're the Republican in the room, and I don't want to. So I need your Hmm. reaction to it. I mean, that's just not true, and it's a terrifying statement, isn't it?
6: Well, look, I think the rhetoric on both sides of this debate, Uh, To me, this rhetoric is a great example of why maybe the Supreme Court doing what it did a long, long time ago uh, wasn't the most ideal scenario. Our founding fathers meant for issues like this to be left to the states and then work it all out. If that had been the case, you might have three or four states total now. I think women's health would be better. However, I, I don't agree with the president's rhetoric on that. I don't agree with the rhetoric on the other side. Uh, that there's no legitimate argument about when life begins. I think that's one of the most fundamental arguments we ought to be having in our society. I think that's that's why the Supreme Court, the overwhelming majority of them, agree we ought to be discussing viability here, and uh, doing the best we can to understand when life begins and weigh those balances of rights. But you're right, uh, extreme rhetoric on either side of this serious issue I think is dangerous uh, on both sides, and I think we have to. I think that the the, the the, the conflict here and what I was talking about when it said there was a reaction to there's always a political reaction to what's going on. But uh, there are individuals on the pro-choice side who do believe that there ought to be a, more of an abortion on demand type of thing. And there are legitimate people who believe that's murder. And so I think if you have that in a civil discussion, uh, that's the appropriate way to have it. But the political rhetoric is. Is just dangerous yeah. on both sides. I,
1: I think you know as much as we try to have a collegial uh, right. conversation and work towards some common ground. I think it's been clear to me uh, from the very beginning of this conversation, throughout the months that it was debated, that there is no common ground on abortion. It's just you either believe that it is.
5: No, there, no, there is. I, I think there is. You do? I, I think there is. I think if you look at, at polling over over the last couple decades, uh, that that. That that there's there is a middle ground that it should uh, that that the, the, the public doesn't believe that, that it should be banned outright, but they also don't believe that it should be uh, it, it should be uh, allowed in every single case. Uh, there there is it's a it's a it's a the Clintons were on it. Bill Clinton was on it. Uh, I think when he was talking about uh, abortion as something that that should be uh, uh, accessible but rare. And 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 I think I think you've got some you've got some public consensus if if you but politicians aren't allowed to reach
0: right. for that
1: consensus. I, I well, that's it, a point well made. Last comment. We got to move on here. Well,
0: I, I also think that the determination for many people about when life begins or when there is viability has much to do with religious beliefs, and then you come down to a constitutional question of whether one group can force those religious beliefs about the beginning of life on the rest of the citizenry.
1: All right. right. Um, Kyle, I have now allowed—I mean, just (laughs) let this conversation go completely over in this direction. I'm not disappointed. It was interesting, but let me bring it back to where we started. Tomorrow, Governor Kemp signs this legislation— I think we can imagine the last—when they were voting on it the last time, when the final votes were being taken, there uh, were—security was as tight as it's ever been at the state capitol. There were protesters uh, uh, all over the place. I can understand why they may not want to talk too much about how they're doing this or where they're doing it exactly, but I I think it's pretty clear we're going to see a lot of people— showing up at the Capitol to express their both their displeasure and the uh, supporters, uh, their enthusiasm.
4: I think so, and I think it's actually a little surprising to me that Governor Kemp isn't doing this in a more public way uh, because he has picked a side on this issue, and it you know whether he signs the bill quietly or with a big signing ceremony, it won't stop Democratic candidates next cycle from taking on this issue and trying to hold the governor accountable when they disagree with him on it. Um, so you know, I would think that he would want to take this opportunity to try to congratulate the champions on his side of this issue and raise the profile of this issue since they've spent so much All political right, well, We'll capital. watch
1: for it. I think we're uh, working uh, Tom Faust, we're working to live stream, assuming that he does this in such a way that media will be allowed to observe it. We're going to live stream his comments and the response, the comments of anyone who's in the room who's given a chance to speak tomorrow when it happens on, on, on our Twitter page, right, on Politics GPB Twitter. All right, let's uh, get in a couple other issues before the break. Jim Galloway, we have teased until it hurts Michael Owens <laughs> on this show <laughs> about when he was going to finally tell the world what he's been saying privately to many of his good friends that he's going to run for Congress in the 13th District against David Scott. He's now done it. He finally, yesterday or last night, Sent out a, uh, a social media post saying, "I'm in the race," and that's just yet another political rewind panelist who we really like out of the mix because they're running for office.
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's look. This is this is this is an inter interesting generational. Uh, clash that's coming up uh, because you have Michael Owens. Uh, he's what now? I'd say maybe is he forties, maybe 40, early forties. Uh, David, David Scott is is well into his seventies. We're talking about uh, Hank Aaron's brother-in-law here. Yeah. Uh, uh, Scott has been around for for a long time. I, I mean, I I first ran into him when he was uh, uh, chairman of the state senate rules committee, mm-hmm. uh, and and the, the the thing is what you. David Scott is is probably the most conservative democrat uh in the Georgia delegation maybe maybe in the whole caucus at this at this point the the whole house house democratic caucus and he has often been spotted working with de- with, with with republicans he was on the he was on the uh he he helped uh he uh he brought uh, uh, Sonny Purdue before the the U.S. Senate when he was being confirmed as as agricultural uh, secretary, he has worked with uh, David Purdue on uh, 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 historically black colleges and university funding, and in a, in a in an older Georgia political world that worked. And but in in the current democratic climate, I'm not sure that it does. And it's it, and and you could see that in in his press releases, Michael Owens's press releases, that you know the, the time for consorting with Republicans is is done.
1: Yeah, Melito, we should make be sure we're clear clear on this for our listeners. This is a democratic challenge. This Absolutely. is a primary challenge, and there are, there are people. David Scott's been there for nine terms. Yes, and there are people who. Are, have said to Michael Owens, "Why don't you just wait? Why do you have to go in on a, to a primary challenge here?"
0: Well, but but David Scott, unlike some of the other members of the congressional delegation, seems to be robust health wise, and so people don't want to wait. And while we're not Brooklyn here in Georgia, AOC proved that you can take on a long term Democratic incumbent mm-hmm. and win. But even closer to home, last year in the Democratic primary, we saw three House members, Howard Mosby um, and Coach Williams in the Atlanta suburbs.
5: Kurt Thompson.
0: Well, yes, and then also um, down in Albany. So we saw Democrats fall to hardworking, younger, door-knocking, grassroots-connected Challengers within the primary, so they're certainly Owens received. I think only seventeen percent of the vote when he ran fourteen years ago, but he's kind of paid his dues. He's helped get a lot of people elected in the in the Democratic um, he's overseen, legislature. Yeah, he's, he's been he's, the chair of the Cobb Democratic Party, so he's checked the boxes to show that he's really ready to take mm. on the challenge of being a congressman that's no judgment on the kind of job david scott is doing but if you are going to take on a sitting congressman owens has checked off the boxes of proving his
6: stuff right and i think look five ten years ago with the michael owens running against an incumbent like david scott you'd say this is a great way to help david scott raise a lot of money mm. Right. But in today's environment, I think we've hit the nail on the head. This is a combination of what Donald Trump has done by motivating and forcing the Democratic Party to uh, fracture, if you will, from my perspective and have progressives challenging what seems to be left of of moderate uh, uh, Democrats all around uh, the country. And then uh, we all know, and Michael's a good friend of mine as well, uh, even though across the aisle uh, we talk all the time about politics in Cobb County. But knowing Michael, this is a serious challenge. And I do think a progressive from the left uh, in this primary is going to be a real issue for David Scott. You know,
1: right. Kyle, but, but you know, okay, OK, so I thought it was interesting, Kyle, that Melita just for the, you know, in talking about new blood made the comparison to Alexandria uh, uh, Octavio Cortez. Uh, it, it, he's not really her. He's not that right. kind of outsider, nor is he the, the kind of, you know, seriously liberal uh, candidate and now congresswoman that she turned out to be. Um, so I guess it, as I watch that race unfold— I I wonder what the thirteenth district gives up in not having a nine-term congressman to call their own should uh, uh, Owen beat him. I mean, isn't that part of the argument you'd make if you were on David
4: Scott's side of this thing? I think so, but I think that's why the generational aspect of this is so interesting to me because you know a lot of the history that you laid out, Melita, to a younger generation. I don't think there is appreciative of that sort of work within the party structure and and how all of that has gone. And, you know, Michael Owens said um, in the press that one of the issues he wanted to raise the profile of was climate change. And that's something that if you talk to young people who are engaged in politics, that they're really concerned about. I think the question for Michael Owens is, does that uh, passion turn into turnout at the polls? Because it's traditionally been tougher to get young people to turn out at rates that older people do.
6: Especially in a primary. Yeah. Everybody's coming in November. Right. Turnout in the primary is going to be there.
1: It's going to be fun to watch. We'll talk a lot about it, I'm sure, in the weeks ahead. Uh, Got to get to a break, so let's do that. Let's take our first break in the show. We'll be back with more on
3: Political Rewind in just a moment. Thanks for listening to GPB during our stealth drive. We've now passed the halfway mark for the number of days of the campaign However, we've not yet reached the halfway mark when it comes to covering the cost of the programs you expect and enjoy. Hi, I'm Tom Barclay, GPB's Radio Operations Manager. If you've been thinking we'll wrap up this drive successfully without your help, please think again. Join in the effort to raise the critical funding that keeps GPB and the programs that are part of your life on the air. Make sure we hear from you now at gpb.org or 800-222-4788 that's gpb.org or 800-222-4788 and if we have already heard from you thank you so much for your support of gpb jim galloway work
1: with me let's check off some boxes okay all right Sonny Perdue is the secretary of the Department of Agriculture. Yes. Sonny Perdue's cousin is David Perdue, one of the closest allies of President Trump on Capitol Hill. Right. Brian Kemp has been an outspoken supporter of President Trump. Backed because of Sonny Perdue. Right. So we're checking off all these boxes. And yet when, our, when Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue, a former Georgia governor— uh, decides he wants to move two research divisions of the USDA out of Washington, relocate them, uh, and and Athens and Griffin, two Georgia cities, say they want to be in the running, they're eliminated. It's going to go to Indiana or someplace like that, these divisions. Why, What's the mid-
5: going on? The Midwest, you think? <laughs> the Midwest, where farmers are struggling and which have <laughs> Early primaries, uh, yeah, I think that's I think we're seeing some presidential presidential level politics happening there uh, that and that beats all local clout.
0: but but this ties in in a way to your conversation about David Scott, because bringing home the bacon, the federal money, is a key to political power. And as we were talking earlier, the, the U.S. Senate, we haven't in recent decades had terribly long-term term three decades of service in the U.S. Senate the way Georgia once did. Nor has our con- congressional delegation been as stable as it was in the Carl Vinson days. So it's even more hurtful when a sitting secretary um, cabinet secretary fails to throw some bacon his state's way.
5: But it even gets more complicated than yes, that.
1: Yes, it does. Because, Sanford Bishop because, because
5: you have Sanford Bishop.
1: Let me, can I, I really, oh, okay. You've got I, this, I was having fun you, with you that. You choreographed. No, no, just a very simple setup. <laughs> USDA has had two divisions that have been in Washington. It's the Economic Research Service and the National <sighs> Institute of Food and Agriculture. There are 600-plus high-paying jobs in these two divisions. Okay, they've been in Washington forever. The decision that's been made to move them out of Washington— I just wanted to make it clear having backed into it in my own way that we explain what's going on here and there's been I think some 60 plus cities have
5: competed for the right to get at one of those divisions into their own towns right and Sanford Bishop has opposed moving them out of DC entirely exactly. because he says that Sonny Purdue hasn't hasn't made his case and I, I would I would throw this in and, and Heath can probably talk to, to talk talk a good bit about this is is that this is there's there's a the largest political dynamic in agricultural politics is the Midwest versus the South. Yeah,
6: that's right.
5: And the South will tell you it's perpetually the loser.
6: (laughs) (laughs) uh, Historically, we had uh, some some reprieves when Saxby Chambliss was up there. He won some pretty big battles. But even as the ranking member on Senate Agriculture or the chair himself, uh, the ag interest. And look, this comes back to why the founding fathers made the Senate the way they made the Senate, right? Small... Midwestern farming states have two senators, just like New York and California and others. But uh, there's no doubt some of that politics comes in. I think some of this has to do with the fact that Sonny Perdue, it's kind of like when you're coaching your own children, sometimes you don't get to bring home all the bacon. He can't relocate the entire Ag Department to Georgia uh, while he's there. And the president, uh, at the end of the day, the White House has a lot of influence over these types of decisions. Uh, He is the secretary for the president on these issues but well
1: you know it, it, it Kyle, that's exactly why i thought this was such an interesting issue because of this notion that the midwestern agriculture interests and the southern interests are always at odds with one another and uh, and that and and the politics of the 2020 election cycle the electoral college plays a role in who comes out likely a winner in this fight Uh, despite Sanford Bishop's efforts to make sure nobody outside Washington wins.
4: Yeah, I think uh, people care a lot right now about what people in Iowa think. But I think it's actually probably good for the federal government to be having these discussions about moving agencies out of the D.C. area. You know, the D.C. area and other cities up the Atlantic coast are very economically advanced, well-developed places. And um, it would probably be good for a lot of struggling economies in the South and in the Midwest to have the opportunity to get some of that economic activity that comes with just having federal agencies that do things like research.
0: And, and meanwhile, the tornado-ravaged areas of Sanford Bishop's district still have not received relief.
1: Yeah, we keep hearing that we're closer and closer. Heath, you know this better than any of us. You, you're
6: working with Johnny Isaacson. Are we getting closer? It sure seems like from the conversations that we are getting closer, however— I mean, here we are way too many months past the time where something like this happens. And I've said this every week, you know, on the show. This is just the bare knuckles example of how people view Washington as completely broken. Yeah, absolutely. Both sides are pointing fingers at each other. And that Johnny Isaacs is up there going, quit. Everybody just quit. Let's get back to helping the people that are suffering all over the country. And let's bifurcate these other issues that are holding it up.
5: Yeah, you've got. I mean, you had David uh, David Perdue sending out uh, notes uh, with Rick Scott to uh, to his his colleagues, his Democratic colleagues in California yeah. and Hawaii, asking them to come on board. But at the same time, of course, you have you have the president uh, this morning on Twitter saying, "Oh, uh, he still thinks that Puerto Rico is getting too much money." Yeah.
1: Yeah. it's it it, it, it it has to be driving the people crazy who are really working for a bipartisan solution to this to have the president decide to suddenly tweet something like this out. Even if you think he's right, it's not helping any at this moment.
0: There's so much about his Twitter feed that's not helping.
1: <laughs> All right. Uh, Jim, we talked on the show on Friday a bit about the fact that um longtime Georgia Republican activist Carolyn Meadows uh, was uh, she came out of the incredible blow up at the NRA's uh, national conference a week ago uh, as the winner. She was named president of NRA we pointed out Friday that's largely a ceremonial post. She doesn't run the organization day to day she presides
5: over board meetings and that sort of thing. Right but Ollie North was ousted. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 uh, Ms. Meadows is a long, long time NRA insider. I mean, this is it's it's not really a surprise that they would that they would reach out and, and tap her for this uh, in, a, in an emergency basis like this.
1: Yeah. So we talked about the fact, Heath. Uh, you're, this is all happening up really toward your neck of the woods, Sixth right. District. Uh, Meadows in an, in uh, accepting the post said that one of her priorities will be to get make sure her own congresswoman lucy mcbath the democrat uh is ousted in the re-election effort
6: carolyn's been a great uh, republican activist as well as an activist within the nra for a long time Uh, johnny isaacson and i have said that uh, actually if the nra had been smart they would have had her more in the forefront Uh, for years because unlike uh, some of the folks who are hyper-controversial for other reasons in their lives. And in their careers, uh, she's always had a, a very gentle and a nice feminine touch to uh, the argument about the Second Amendment. Uh, and, and it puts a different face on it from what uh, the left would like to characterize the NRA as. And so I think she's going to be a good president for it.
1: I Over the years, Jim, I think those of us as journalists who have what, covered her at, at conventions and whatever, you know, she's always been a delegate to the national convention. She was a national committee woman. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've always found her yeah, uh, just pleasant, lovely, and accessible and, and very accessible. We've always liked Carol Mettis, but okay, Melita, here's one of the things that she said uh, in an interview over the weekend with the Marietta Daily Journal. She said that she was asked about this uh, statement she made in which she said one of my top priorities will be to get rid of Lucy Mcbath. She says there will be other there'll be more than one person in the race. She doesn't want to pick favorites in the primary contest that will unfold up there. Uh, But she says it is wrong to say, like Macbeth said, that the reason she won was because of her anti-gun stance. That didn't have anything to do with it. It had to do with being a minority female. And the Democrats really turned out, and that's the problem we have with conservatives. We don't turn out as well. I I don't know quite what to make of her decision to say that Lucy Macbeth won because she's an African-American woman.
0: I, I would think that's probably not the smartest thing she's ever said. Um, I, I think the Lucy Mcbath had many qualities in her favor, and her stance on guns was certainly one of them. Lucy has been seen in the district, she's been having meetings, she's been making appearances. Far more so than Karen Handel ever did when she was H- has serving she in been that out post- there? Yes, she's okay, been out there. She's been right. making a lot of speeches, okay. and she's had town halls, which is more town halls I than think Karen
1: ever won. Because we've having a hard Isaacs time. Been doing okay, her kids I'm glad. Work for a while. Okay, we got <laughs> to accept. We'll accept that on face value. We haven't seen her. Hard to hide nor hair her hair. Well, you, yeah, had, you don't follow
0: uh, the same Facebook feeds I do. She had one in April. Yeah, She had a town hall, but she's appeared at a number of functions. She's very popular. She has now staffed up. So certainly the Isaacson staff probably does not now receive as many letters as they might have the first few weeks she was there. I I think Lucy has taken all the right steps to have a strong chance for reelection.
5: Yeah, and, and and I will tell you what. It, okay, the, the, yes, uh, Carolyn Meadows. Uh, probably that that probably wasn't the, the diplomatic thing to say yeah. about Macbeth. Uh, basically, because uh, that district, while it's changing, it's uh, the demograph the demographics aren't. You know, uh, it was a surprise that Macbeth won, uh, that a black woman would take that district. I think that the but the bigger mistake I think is is simply putting the NRA target yeah. on Lucy Macbeth. I this I, this I don't think that hurts her. Number one, we know that the the NRA is 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 financially uh, in 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 some pretty serious straits. Uh, then and you, you we also know that Lucy McBath's fundraising capabilities. Uh, I mean, she was a she was a cha- uh, the 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 gun anti gun. Uh, forces really championed her, and they poured money, and if the NRA is targeting her, then that that national fundraising network kicks into gear. It
0: absolutely kicks into gear. And then the other thing is, never underestimate how upset all the moms are when children come home talking about active shooter drills in their school rooms, when when kindergarten children talk about having to hide in a school locker and the government has done nothing to curb school gun violence. So,
1: um, Kyle, I, I do think that Meadows, you know, she's a lifelong NRA member. She makes that clear. She knows the organization well. But I do think Galloway makes a point here. I'm not—she sure. believes that the—we know that McBath was able to win the 6th District because of an army of volunteers who canvassed that district day after day relentlessly. I wonder if Carolyn Meadows really believes she can mobilize NRA members uh, to go out and uh, do the same for whoever— The Republican is in that race. I think that may be a misunderstanding of what the NRA strengths are these days.
4: Well, I think that's maybe why it raises concerns for her, because if the conversation around guns is not a conversation about Second Amendment rights and is a conversation about active shooter drills in schools, that's a tougher issue for NRA members and Republicans to win on. And so that, I think, is maybe part of why you also saw the slip of the tongue here is you know macbeth is not only a you know a democrat that espouses positions they don't like she's a threat to the underlying argument on guns
1: all right i have i got to get a break in um let's take our final break of the show and we'll be back in a moment
3: Welcome to GPB's Stealth Drive, an innovative way we're fundraising on the air this spring. The bottom line is you get more of the programs you come to GPB for and less fundraising on the air. But it will only work when listeners like you keep GPB strong. The best way to do that is to join us as a GPB sustainer. Your ongoing monthly contribution provides a steady stream of support for the programs you enjoy. Donate at gpb.org or 800-222-4788.
6: And thanks.
0: On the next Fresh Air, the Hulu
4: series Pen15 is about middle school life and milestones like a first kiss.
6: What was it like? Like like What did he do with that? Ew! Ew! Stop! I can't.
4: We talk with the two creators and stars. Also, John and Molly Chester, whose documentary is The Biggest Little Farm. Join us. Fresh Air
2: is this afternoon at 3 on GPB and GPBnews.org.
1: Welcome back. Quick reminder, Monday night, June 3rd, 7 p.m. We're going to be in uh, Cartersville doing our show in front of a live audience. It's always fun to do that. Uh, Please join us. We'd love to have you come out. We're going to be at the Grand Theater. Uh, Just go to politicalrewind.org. You'll see a link where you can sign up for your free ticket or go to gpb.org slash community, Tom Faust just uh, whispered into my ear. All right, we got I got about 18 items and about five minutes left, and I want to go over a couple of them real quickly. Um, number one, uh, let's talk about the fact that uh, uh, Pete Buttigieg, uh, Jim, becomes the third Democrat in this cycle, Democratic presidential candidate, to make a visit down to Plains. He went to Maranatha Baptist Church to see Jimmy Carter preach uh, his Sunday school lesson— right
5: and then to have and, lunch and then to have lunch and then to tweet out the obligatory photo uh uh he is the third one i think uh, cory booker and amy klobuchar yep have, yep have also and been john lewis
1: there. took uh i think cory booker down there which is a uh, nice company um melita isn't it something that jimmy carter after that one term presidency that he left feeling so much un- unfinished and so many people in the country wanting him gone has retained this uh, stature that candidates want to come see him.
0: Yes, he is (laughs) at his very core a very decent man who has made more of a post-presidency perhaps than he did of the four years he served in the White House. And, And I think that thread of great decency and good works resonates with a lot of people. I thought it was interesting in some of the accounts of the visit that Mayor Pete had volunteered on a Habitat for Humanity house building in Indiana with the president and therefore already knew him. And I would also note that the nice young um, New Yorker um, staff writer Charles Bethay tweeted out a link to his story about um, Mayor Pete's Rhodes Scholar experience, Mm -hmm. which makes for a very good read for some of your listeners later today.
6: Look, Jimmy Carter is a state treasurer and a national treasurer. I have a tremendous amount of respect for his non-political work post-presidency, as do most Republicans in the state of Georgia, and I think it is an interesting political tribute to him to see that these, uh, all these candidates, all 22 or 55 of them, are going to all come <laughs> to Plains, Georgia, right, to hear him. And I think it's also, there's some interesting symbolism in this one with the mayor coming down to see the kind of Southern Baptist, former Southern Baptist uh, president of the United States. And I think that makes for good uh, political theater yeah. and, and, and shows the kind of loving spirit of, of Jimmy Carter and you know the way he's able to kind of bridge all these different uh, uh, issues out there. And so I have a lot of respect for what he's been able to do.
5: You know, you could have an entire Sunday school class of presidential
6: <laughs> candidates. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. Carter. Well,
0: I, I love the idea of how some of the current Southern Baptist leadership must be twirling a bit over the fact that, that he was there um, as a former Southern Baptist who left that church a long time ago. I, I like to think about how those heads explode on Sunday afternoon when they read about such things. Kyle, another—go
1: ahead,
4: go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, he as a Democrat, I think, is running more talking about his faith than any Democratic candidate, maybe since President Carter. Since Carter. Carter. Oh, that's a really good point. So I think that him making that trip down there and framing his candidacy based on his faith, which is a different interpretation than the religious right might offer is a really interesting mix of how this is developing.
1: Great point, great point. Uh, Joe Biden made his first uh, Southern campaign swing. It wasn't much of a swing. He went to, I think, two events in uh, South Carolina. I think he was in, was he in Columbia, I think? I do Yeah, he was in yeah. Columbia. Uh, uh, you know, it's interesting. Biden is positioning himself, Kyle, almost entirely as, at this stage in his campaign as, uh, vote for me because I'm the
5: one who can beat Donald Trump. We must defeat Trump. That's the campaign so far. But, but he also, uh, but in Columbia, he also, he, he he put out his arm around an imaginary
4: Obama.
1: Well, uh, I to a very should, large Yes, extent. he did. That's right. That's right.
4: But I think both of those things together is a very powerful argument when you're talking to Southern Democratic voters who may not be as progressive as the emerging wing um, in states like California and New York, that making the argument on electability and making it on continuing the Obama legacy, I think, is a good strategy. For him. There was there
5: was an, something interesting that 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 uh, came across the Biden campaign after after uh, after the the two events in in South Carolina, they issued a list of endorsements that they obtained in in South Carolina. Now Jim Clyburn wasn't on there, mm. but but. But a lot of prominent uh, 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 South Carolinians were on there.
1: It's not surprising Clyburn wouldn't be quite ready to make a move. He's got colleagues on that kill that he's got to be careful. He doesn't offend, I would think. But Melita, Joe Biden in this, you know, here's a guy who is the moderate. You know, you're talking before about the new generation, the young politicians, uh, as opposed to the traditionalists, the moderates, the progressives. Uh, Biden's squarely in the middle and going to make his case from that place.
0: He will, and it will be very interesting to see how he is embraced nationwide and how he continues to comport himself on the campaign trail and whether he can avoid some of those things which have tanked past Whoops. campaigns.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, when, Heath, if you were running his campaign, you'd right. be holding your breath every time he went out oh, and made a public appearance if i were a young
6: political reporter i would beg to be on the joe biden plane uh, out there and I, it would make your life interesting as a consultant but i think it's really interesting there's new poll out today Uh, Biden has a 32 point lead over uh, Bernie Sanders in the first uh, national poll, which is pretty dramatic. And and if I were a consultant to Joe Biden, what I would do is take advantage of the one endorsement from Barack Obama that mattered the most, which he endorsed him for vice president. And every radio commercial and every television commercial he ever runs in South Carolina or Georgia is going to be Joe Biden with Barack Obama doing something and right. he's going to be able to claim that. So I think this is a powerful force, and it's going to be interesting to watch the schism within the Democratic uh, left uh, over this issue. Over you government.
5: know, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that, that, that the Biden gaffes may be a, kind of an artifact of those two previous campaigns. I think Donald Trump... Has kind of right. changed. The, has, 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 has 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 changed. Has has lowered the bar as far as as far as uh, gaffs go. That's well. Right.
0: That's that's very true. That there there is no lower bar for gaffes than Donald Trump, and and what Heath just said. The the video that Biden used for the introduction of his campaign, almost half the first half of it was the Obama speech presenting him with the Presidential Medal of Freedom in Obama's voice. And so he certainly has himself firmly in the Obama embrace.
1: I don't think there's any question that uh, President Trump is nervous about Joe Biden. He's probably spent more time tweeting and commenting on Biden in a negative way than any other candidate out there.
4: Yeah, I think it, you know, if Donald Trump is looking at his map, Joe Biden is the most dangerous candidate, I think, in terms of taking states that Trump barely flipped from Democrats. Well,
1: that, you know, there's another... Uh, thing that's going to be fascinating to watch. Uh, Union members who supported Trump in Michigan, in Ohio, as opposed to union leaders who are now firmly behind Biden. And we're going to watch to see how the union vote ends up breaking out in this next election, if Biden is the guy who goes up against Trump, aren't we?
4: Yeah, I think so. And that it gets into a bigger debate that Democrats are having within the party about the importance of lab- labor and rebalancing out labor versus management. And that's part of the argument that the rising left is making, but it's an argument that is important across the party. All
1: right. Out of time for uh, today's Political Rewind. Uh, Heath Garrett, thank you. Great to be here, Jim Galloway. You know we love having you. I'll see you again on Friday, right? For political rewind. Melita well, Easter, thank you for being thank here. Too. Kyle Hayes, it was so nice to have you here in the flesh instead of sitting in a tiny little NPR studio talking into our ears. Thanks for. Uh, coming in to be on the
4: show today. Great to be back.
1: So that's it for us today. We're back with another Political Rewind tomorrow at 2. Of course, we will have some sound from the uh, signing ceremony in which Governor Kemp signs HB 481, the abortion bill. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the suits that are likely to be filed pretty quickly, I would imagine, after the signature appears on that bill, and a lot more on tomorrow's show. So join us at two again tomorrow. Until then, have a great afternoon.